Well, welcome, uh, welcome again, everybody, to Bethel Church. It's a snowy morning, and you brave Michiganders, you came in the snow. And those of you that are watching at home, we trust it's been a blessing to you so far. And you want to take your Bible, and you want to turn to Revelation in chapter 11. Heard of a story about a guy, true story, this week, had, not, not too long ago, he had $400 to invest in the stock market. So he decided he liked gaming, so he bought GameStop stock, which was fortuitous, because he checked last week and it was worth 46000 David, $46,000. Now the question is, did he sell? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, isn't that interesting? So today I just thought about, you know, some tips, some investment tips, and I thought, I want to give you a surefire, absolute, uh, guaranteed investment tip. It's right there in your lap. Revelation chapter 11, and the message today is what lasts is what matters. What lasts is what matters, and we're going to see when you get to the end, what's worthy, that's what you should be investing in. So you have, a, you have an investment tip in this text in Revelation 11, a surefire, absolute, guaranteed investment tip. You also have in Revelation chapter 11 a very frightening warning, a stern, straightforward, unavoidable warning. It's so serious. But the primary intent of Revelation chapter 11, given through the Holy Spirit to John, to the churches, and to us is that would be an encouragement, that would be a promise, that would be an, a comfort uh, to us. A promise that one day Jesus, uh, that he promised with his own name to fulfill. So you have all of that in this. Let's read it. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1. And then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But do not measure the court or outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, these two witnesses called two olive trees, two lampstands, if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. And they have power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire and when they have finished their testimony when they have finished their testimony the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where where their Lord was crucified. And three and a half days, for three and a half days, some from the 
peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on all who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. (laughs) And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Now, you remember that we're in the middle of the seven trumpets. There were the seven seven seals and then the seven trumpets, and we're at the end of the trumpets and getting ready to sound the seventh trumpet. And the last three trumpets were also woes. That's why it says the second woe is past. The third woe, the seventh trumpet, is about to sound or come. Now, verse 15. And then the seventh angel blew its trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You have a Bible with you? Let's read that out loud together. From uh, verse, we'll go from verse 15 uh, all, all together. Are you ready? Verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. Okay, if you read scripture, you have to read it special. It's the Bible, okay? So you can't like mumble. You have to, you have to read the scripture like it's special. Are you ready? So I want to hear your voice. Let's have a, a, let's join together in the reading of God's word in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Everyone together now. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. (laughs) And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Give thanks, we give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. And the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Time has come, the kingdom has come, right? Verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was open. The Ark of the Covenant was seen in the temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, and heavy hail. And God's people said, amen, hallelujah. That's quite a, that's quite a passage. Now, how many of you think that's hard to understand? Raise your hand. This is hard to understand. Raise your hand. You think it's hard to, how many of you are afraid to answer? Raise your hand. You're afraid to answer. Uh, how many of you say, that's easy. This is easy. Easy to understand. Nobody. Um, so basically, we've got a non-voting group here. <laughs> it's like, Mark Havisto, I saw you. Thank you for your participation. Nobody else voted on anything. Uh, so, uh, so, so let me, let's talk about this. I, well, I talked to my, to my most trusted confidant at length about this last night. And she told me to go easy on you and not to rough you up. So I'm going to be nice about this. I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. 
This book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was given through the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his church. You have a copy of it in your lap. So you should read this book. Let me give you an example of why, just from the mouth of the Lord himself. I'm going to read from Revelation 1 and verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written in it, for the time is near. What if God were to say to you, hey, Joe, I'm going to give you a blessing. Joe, I, I just want to bless you. Joe says to the Lord, Joe loves the Lord. Joe says to the Lord, how are you going to bless me? God says to Joe, just trust me. Joe says, what do I got to do? God says, I don't just want you to read Revelation. I want you to read it, hear it, and keep what is written in it. I know Joe. Joe's like, that, I'm on that. I'm on that. Are, are you with Joe? Yeah. Would you? Okay, that's what we're talking about. So Jesus wrote a book. Did you read it? Like, how many seals are there? How many trumpets are there? How many bowls are there? You, you know, you, you should know that, right? I mean, if you can memorize baseball uh, batting averages, you, you can memorize how many seals, how many trumpets, how many, how many bowls. You can do that. Who do you think the, the, the lampstand is? Who do you think the lampstands are? Who, who do you think? Yeah, at one point, the churches, you're right. Who are they in this passage? That's another question. Who are the olive tree? You, you could study, a person, anybody could study that. Well, here's what I'm getting at. Is revelation hard or easy? Well, let's, let's not make it harder than it is. The scriptures say sometimes about themselves they're hard to understand. Peter said that about Paul. He said some of that stuff he wrote is hard to understand, which is kind of neat that's in the Bible, and it's also inspired so, yes, sometimes the, the scriptures are not easy to understand on the surface. They yield their riches to those who really study them and compare scripture with scripture. So in that sense, yes, there's a sense in which some passages are harder to understand than others. But listen, be careful. Sometimes when you look at a symbolic-laden kind of the genre of literature that you have here in Revelation, it's apocalyptic and it's symbol-laden, and it would be easy to be put off and go, wow, this, one, this one's not for me to understand. I'll skip it. You would be making a big mistake because it's easy. Some of the things that you think are hard aren't as hard as they seem on the surface. And when you apply yourself to studying and reading and comparing Scripture with Scripture, and you give some time and effort and energy to it, some things that seem hard really aren't very hard at all. They're very plain, and they're self-interpreting. The Scripture, a little bit later on, you keep reading, you'll say, this is that. Or another key thing, and I've mentioned this before, but like if you wanted to really go a layer deeper or two or three layers really deeper and really study Revelation and understand it, what you'd want to do is you want to say, wait a minute. This book is written as letters, as a unique kind of letters to churches in the first century whose Bible was the Old Testament. And hundreds of references to the Old Testament are embedded in Revelation. Since that's true, if you really had a real thorough understanding of the Old Testament, then some things that are mentioned, for instance, the, these two witnesses are going to be identified in the passage today. They're not going to be identified. They're going to be referred to. They're not going to be identified by name. They're not identified by name anywhere in Scripture. 
but one of them can make the rain stop for three and a half years. Now, if you're an Old Testament student, you know there was a guy like that. His name was, see, some of the people here even know that, Elijah. And one of those guys was able to bring plagues like, like Moses. Exactly. How did you know that? Because you, that's the main storyline of the Old Testament. And if you read the Old Testament and you have all that in you, then you know that in the time of Zerubbabel, there was the rebuilding of the temple. And in the rebuilding of the temple, there God says, this looks humanly impossible. This is in Zechariah chapter 4. And, and, and he, is it when there was a rebuilding of the temple, it seemed humanly impossible to do. But God sent some people he called olive branches, lampstands, who by the Spirit of the Lord, who by miraculous power, were able to rebuild the temple. Now you have a people who are living in a time when the temple has been destroyed. And you have a reference to someone measuring to rebuild the temple. So you think about that just for a minute. When you read Revelation 11:1, 1, and I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told to rise and measure the temple of God on the altar and those who worship there, you thought, hmm, what is that? Why? And then it just goes on to, and then there are these two witnesses, and they were powerful witnesses, and they dressed in sackcloth, and they cried out for repentance, and if people mess with them, they burned them with a fire from their mouth, and then they were murdered, they were killed by the uh, beast that comes out of the pit, and then they were, they were raised again when God decided, they, and then there was a loud voice that called, and they, they were shot up to heaven. What's that measuring thing all about? And then it says the kingdom of God will become the kingdom, the kingdom of the earth will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he'll reign forever and ever. And then there was a picture of the temple in heaven with the Ark of the Covenant. And if you're thinking like I'm, you're thinking, I get the middle part, but the part on the end with the Ark of the Covenant and the part at the beginning with the measure of the temple, what's that doing there? But if you understood the Old Testament and if you're tracking here, if you understood the original audience, the original hearer and the original writer, and you understood the Old Testament references, you would start to put together something like this. Here you are living in AD 90, in the time of the writing of the Revelation, and 20 years ago, all hell broke loose on earth, and the world as you knew it blew up, and it was as if the Pentagon and the Capitol building and the White House were bombed by an enemy. Jerusalem fell. Titus Vespasian brings his hordes into Jerusalem, and all of Jerusalem is raised, and the temple itself is destroyed. There is no temple. The priests are murdered and the temple is destroyed. And Josephus describes that in a horrific way. Your whole world caved in 20 years ago. Everyone's talking about that. Now here's the message from John, who's been exiled into prison on the island of Patmos. And you've got these little churches that are scattered around, living in kind of maybe fear and trepidation under the, under the uh, dominance of Domitian. And he says, and in my dream, in my vision... God was taking a measure to rebuild the temple. And you are going, hallelujah. And there's going to be a temple, Ark of the Covenant. We'll explain why that is in a minute. But here we have it. Let's just walk through this text together. And let's see as we, so, so just this, about the hard thing. Okay, so yes, some of it's hard. But some of it is not as hard as you think. And some of it, when you understand it, 
When you have a basic understanding, you may not be prepared to answer all the questions, but you will be when the time comes, you'll recognize it. For instance, Christians probably in the room have a difference of opinion about the timing of the rapture. What's the rapture? The rapture is a time, the Bible talks about at least three times very clearly. It's in 1 Corinthians, it's in 1 Thessalonians, it's in John chapter 14, when saints, believers, will be caught up to be with the Lord of the air. All Bible-believing Christians believe that's going to happen because the Bible says that's going to happen. If you say the, the saints will never be caught up to be the Lord of the air, you're denying the Scripture. Now, the timing of the rapture, that's another question. Because people who love the Lord, love the Bible, have a high view of Scripture, are going to have a difference of opinion like, is that rapture going to happen before this seven years? Or at the three-and-a-half-year part? Or before the wrath? Or at the end and good people really do kind of arm wrestle about that now it doesn't really affect the overall comfort of this passage it doesn't affect the overall warning of this passage it, you know in the end jesus is going to reign king of kings lord of lords no matter what the timing of the rapture is it's going to matter and if you study the bible carefully when it happens you're going to go okay i, I know now get it but there are people who lived in for instance in the time of christ who didn't understand what was happening and after the resurrection, even his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he's talking to them and he says, didn't you read the Old Testament? Didn't you notice that, didn't you notice what I said there? And then he took them back through the Old Testament and he showed them what they missed. So I hope I haven't belabored that and I hope I've honored the um, advice of my closest trusted confidant. And that is just to challenge you to, to know the content of this book so that some of it will be gone. Oh, that's easier than I thought. And some of it will be like, I'm not sure now, but when it happens, I'll know because I understand the content of this book. So what we're going to do now is we're going to walk through just kind of verse by verse, give some explanation and encouragement here in this text. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. This is John is entering into this vision, measuring the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now, measuring in the Bible, is, is, it, it can be one of two things. Taking the, God takes the measure of something he's about to judge. Uh, imagine you walk in a room in an old western and you got a Clint Eastwood-like figure chomping on a cigar and he's not talking to you. And you go, what are you doing? And he says, I'm measuring for your casket. That's, that's what God sometimes does. I've weighed you in the balances. I've found you wanting. You're going down. But that's not the, that's not the feeling you're getting here. He, also, another reason for God to measure things is to demonstrate ownership and intent. And that's clearly what he's doing right here. I, when we bought Bittersweet Farm from Charles Perlos, one of the things he did was he said, Ken, take a walk with me. It's two acres, Bittersweet Farm. Uh, he said, take a walk with me. And you know what we did? He walked me around the acreage. He said, see that stake right there? That's the boundary of your property. And see this over here, that's the other boundary of your property. And it was like, this is Lois's property and my property. This is our, we took ownership of it. We have, we have a benevolent intent for it in the future. This is what is the symbol of what's happening here. You can see very clearly in the passage is God is taking a measure of the holy place and of the holy, holy place. And he's taking a measure of that part of the temple. And he's saying this, and he's measuring his temple. And what else is he measuring in verse 1? He's taking the measure of his people. And I would suggest to you that God is always taking the measure of what he's going to do and taking the measure of who's mine, who's in, and who's out. Who are my people? And, and, and he was, is the one who measures. And then it says, but do not, do not measure the court outside the temple. That's verse 2. 
leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And sometimes here, the nations, it doesn't just mean any people, but it's an, it's an idiom. It's a figure of speech used for the nations who are in rebellion against God. And you see that they'll trample the holy city 42 months. This is the three and a half years. And, and then I will, verse 3, grant authority to my two witnesses, and they'll prophesy for, it's the same amount of time, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So he says here, measure the temple. I intend to do something good. Measure my people. And leave out the nations that are in rebellion against me. And I'm going to send two witnesses, and I give them authority. So you have the 144,000 witnesses and you, that, that were talked about earlier. And then we, now we have... The, the testimony of John, of course, and now you have these two witnesses. God is continually warning people on the earth what he's going to do. He's continually giving them the opportunity to repent. He's continually warning them about his judgment. He's continually holding out his promises. Now he's going to send these two amazing witnesses. They're going to be preachers like no other, and you're going to have some kind of authority here. It says that they have been given authority to preach there for three and a half years, and they're clothed in sackcloth. In other words, their, 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 their message is one of repentance. And verse 4, these, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. This afternoon, for extra credit, take the Bible, turn to Matthew, then back up two books, and you'll be in Zechariah. And look at chapter 4, and what you'll see is that you have a dual reference prophecy. I don't want to lose you here, but in the Bible, sometimes there are dual reference prophecies. You have a prophecy that's, that, is, that has an immediate and incomplete fulfillment in the time. And that was the rebuilding of the temple after the Babylonian captivity. And you have an ultimate and complete fulfillment in the future. And that's what this is referring to. There's going to be a rebuilding. At, there was a rebuilding in history. And God raised up these people that were spirit-filled, and they were called the olive branches and the lampstands. And that would be in the heart of the people in Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. You look at your job and go, this place is so destroyed, it's impossible. My life is so messed up, no, there's no way I can put it back together. And God says, not by might, but not by power, human power or might, but by my spirit. I can do things miraculously you can't do. Trust me. And so when the temple is destroyed in the Babylonian captivity, he's going to raise up spirit-empowered people that are able to rebuild that temple. And in the end day, when the people have seen that the temple is destroyed, there's going to be a tribulation temple. There's going to be a millennial temple. And eventually in the kingdom, in the, in the, in the ultimate kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth, the entire creation is one great temple. And it's temple... Uh, picture is all throughout the Bible, the glory presence of the Lord. It's a, it's a really big deal. So he said, he's sending these witnesses, calling them olive branches and lampstands, references back to that. People that knew the Old Testament would have seen that. In verse 5, if anyone would harm them, this is kind of one of my favorite parts, fire pours out of their mouth. Now, nobody texted while these guys were preaching. Nobody passed notes in the balcony. They're like, do not make me kill you right now. <laughs> Lois told me you wouldn't think that was funny. But, but I've enjoyed that all week long. I've just thought, can I be on that group? They will listen. I, I was at an ordination council, and I was supposed to give the charge <laughs> to the candidate. And his name was Michael. And here's what I told Michael. Michael's a sweet guy, smiling all the time. He's a great pastor. pastor of the Mayfair Bible Church right now, doing a really great job. And I was giving him his charge. And I said to Michael, I said, Michael, 
this young pastor, you know, you're a joyful guy, you're smiling all the time. I said, let the people feel the weight of your message. Don't throw your weight around, but let them feel your weight. In other words, you know, I'm just a mild-mannered preacher, but what I'm saying is life and death stuff. Please don't ignore when a prophet of God and a teacher of the Bible, when a, and especially these two witnesses that come in the power of the Holy Spirit and give you a warning from God, you better take that seriously. This is serious stuff. And, and you can see that the seriousness, the sobriety is just ratcheting up as you get right toward the end. These men are able to breathe fire. Probably quite literally they're able to do that. It's some, something else. And then it says, they, if any, this is verse 5. Fire pours out of their mouth, consumes their foes if anyone would harm them. This is how he's doomed to be killed. So until these guys are done with their witness, you, you don't want to mess with them. Verse 6, they have power to shut the sky. No rain will fall during the days of their prophesying. And this would obviously be, this witness is either Elijah or he's coming, he's, he's an Elijah-like character. And that's what it's from. Anybody that knows the Bible knows, oh, he prayed for three and a half years it didn't rain. And that's repeated in the New Testament as well. And they have power over waters to turn into blood to strike the earth with every kind of plague. That would remind anybody that knew the Old Testament of, of Moses, of course. So here are these two witnesses like Moses and Elijah, like, the, like the, the law and the prophets. And perhaps some Bible scholars, it's conjecture, it's actually Moses and Elijah. There's some reason to believe perhaps that's true. But the scriptures here don't say, so it's speculation. And then it says... In verse 7, an amazing phrase. When they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. This reminds me of Jerry Falwell years ago. And he would say, the servant of God is indestructible until he's finished the task that God has called him to do. And that's true with these witnesses. Until they're done with their witness, nobody can mess with them. And when they're done with their witness, God says, okay, we're going to let them, we're going to let them die. And, of course, there's a happier ending here. But notice what it says. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit, be identified a little bit later, more clearly, but the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. Verse 8, their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, symbolically called Sodom and Egypt. And then you think, hmm, where is that? Well, it's figuratively and symbolically called Sodom in Egypt. Would this be good or bad? Well, it's obviously bad. Anybody could, well, if you call a city Sodom, you're probably not giving it a compliment. And in, and in Israel, if you call a city Egypt, you're not complimenting it. But then it's clearly identified as what? The city where the Lord was crucified. He's saying the holiest of cities has become unholy. And... I'm going to straighten that out. In verse, and then it says in verse 9, for three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. So somehow, all over the earth, everybody from all the tribes and nations and people around the earth are able to tell that these two amazing witnesses that have been preaching and brooking all opposition with fire coming from their mouths for three and a half years have now been killed by the beast from the pit. And whether this is television or however this is, everybody on earth sees it. And the people in, in an ultimate act of disrespect do not bury their bodies, but leave them out for three and a half days. 
and all who dwell on the earth. And there's a technical phrase in Revelation that's repeated over and over again, dwellers upon the earth, is never a reference to just simply people who live on the earth. It's always a reference to those on the earth who are in rebellion and opposition against God. Dwellers on the earth, they rejoice over them, I'm in verse 10, and they make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Now, as we work our way through this, I, I want to remind you of something. And if you are spiritually sensitive, I think you will understand this and you will agree. Watching television today, and you'll see that more and more and more, the things that God says are bad and evil and perverse are being celebrated in our world. I'm talking about celebrated. I understand all of us are plagued and broken by sin. All of us struggle against indwelling sin. And some of those forms of sin are very, very sad and very, very hard. I'm not saying that we're not sympathetic against people who are struggling against sin. But I'm saying when a nation begins to celebrate what God has condemned, when a nation says what God loves, I hate, and what God hates, I love, watch out, something really bad is brewing now. These were witnesses who came from God. They were warning the people. People should have flocked to them in repentance, gotten on their side. But when they were killed by a beast that came out of the pit, the Bible says people had a party. They made merry. They exchanged presents because the two prophets had been a torment to those who, who the enemies of God, those who dwell upon the earth. Verse 11, after the three and a half days, after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. Say amen right there. Um, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet. Great fear fell on those. The, the Capitol, the folks that marched on the Capitol, they took videos of that. Then they played them on TV every night after that for 10 or 12 days. Same videos, like we never saw them. Did you notice that? It's like, here's the, here's the, here's the people attacking the Capitol again. I'm like, I saw that last night. Here it is again. Saw it last night. Saw it the night before. Interesting. Just a little con Did you notice that? that don't want to commit? I, yeah, anyway, so imagine these uh, videos. Like, oh, here, here are the, the guys that were giving us trouble, the religious fanatics that were preaching, breathing fire. They look at them. They're dead. Next night on the news, they're still dead. Here's a picture of the dead guys. They're giving us trouble. Next night on the news, here's the dead guys. Half of the next day, hey, here's the dead guys. There they are, still dead. Their, their bodies are decomposing now. Halfway through the day, hey, they're moving. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. God, get the camera over here. These guys are alive. Right? That, that's Never read the Bible without, without paying attention to its emotional context. These men who represented God were killed by an evil being out of the pit. And they were displayed and people, while people celebrated for three and a half days. And then God breathed life into them again. <laughs> After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet. <laughs> and great fear fell upon those who saw them. Have you ever watched sports and you saw, I mean, these are, you can watch YouTube videos on this. And you, and you saw the, the error of the premature celebration. Right? You spike the ball on the one. You're like, oh, not good, not good. You ran the wrong, you picked off the ball, you ran the wrong way. This is the ultimate premature celebration. Everyone's like, yeah, these guys are dead. It's like, no, nah, not, not yet. They're alive. 
After it was very confirmed they were dead, all over the world, they're very much alive and very confirmed. And great fear falls upon, and the people are so fickle. They're praising God in one voice, and they're fearing God in the next. And that's how this ends. After three and a half days, a breath of life from God enters them. Great fear falls on all who saw them, and this story is not over. What happens next? Track with me, like, if I said to you, if you have children on your row, you know, and we were to say, hey, what happened next? A child should be able to say, what happened next is what? They, okay, they died, and what happened next? They came back to life, and what happened next? I mean, anybody can read this. What happened next? Did you know? What happened next? They, they got raptured up to heaven. That's not hard to understand. They, their, their bodies, which were breathing fire, preaching the gospel, war, crying out in warning, and then were killed by the bad beast, uh, by the bad from the pit. They, then their bodies were displayed while everybody celebrated and gave gifts. And then breath of life came, but they came back to life. Then a loud voice came, and then they shot up to heaven. <laughs> it's a great story. I'm just excited about it. Uh, and they, they, I, it was a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud. And their, en- <laughs> and their enemies watched them. It's like, just happened and then it says and in that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and they gave glory to the God of heaven and the second woe is past and the third woe is still coming are you paying attention here's what revelation keeps doing It uses that literary device of shifting the focus. When you have the focus on heaven, what's going on there all the time? It's a W word. Worship. It's worship. It's order. It's beauty. It's peace. God is on the throne. And the slain lamb is there. The one who created, the one who was slain, and the one who redeemed, and and, and the one who's going to judge is always worshipped in heaven. What do you see on earth over and over again? It's a W word. Whoa. Disaster. It's like on earth disaster, in heaven worship. Whoa, worship. Whoa, worship. When we get enough whoa, God, I need to see, oh, heaven, they're they're still worshipping Jesus up there. God is still on the throne. Jesus is still king of kings and the Lord of lords. The kingdoms of men are saber rattling, but God is not nervous up in his heaven. Uh, So that's what, this is what the book just keeps doing. Now we're in verse uh, verse 15, and things are now going to get really interesting in verse 15. Then the seventh angel steps forward, right? And he blows his trumpet. Remember the, there were seven angels around the throne? And when they would step forward and blow their trumpet, then a judgment would fall on the earth. And now this is the last. We've skipped forward because there were, track with this. There are seven seal judgments first, and then seven what? Trumpet judgments, and then seven bowl judgments. And they're kind of broken four, three, four, three, four, three, because after four... After the first four seals, there's an interlude where God says to his people, 
let's look at heaven for a little bit. Don't get freaked out by what's going on on the earth. Everything's still good in heaven. And then it goes to the seals, and you have, sorry, to the trumpets. And then you have four trumpets, and then there's the break, and then you have the other trumpets. And now you have this the seventh trumpet that sounds. And the seventh trumpet, the angel blew the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. And this is what they said. The kingdom singular of this world. You know, the world looks like it's a bunch of kingdoms. It's under one ruler. Satan is the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. And so it says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. What lasts is what matters. Say that with me. What lasts is what matters. What lasts is what, what's worthy in the end is what's valuable. What lasts is what, and what will last forever, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. And what happened when that, when those voices said that? Those 24 elders, they know when to worship. They're always doing this. It's throughout the, first, the 24 elders, they worship God because he created all things, Revelation 4. And then they worship God because the, the, the lamb was slain and he redeemed people to himself. And now they're going to worship God because judgment has come. And they can worship more because of that. The 24 elders, they have good values. They know what to worship. They celebrate at the right time. Who are the 24 elders? Some people say it's the church in heaven. Those are the pre-tribulation rapture people say that's the church. They're already in heaven. And they're worshiping. That's what they say. And so the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God when, when the voices said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And his 24 elders fall on their faces, and they worship. I want to be among those guys. Verse 17 says, And they, they fell on their faces, and they gave thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Never had a beginning, never have an end, never have an end, never had a beginning. And you've taken great power, and you've begun to reign. This is the great reversal now. This is the great reversal that we've all been waiting for. Is when God says, this is the way it really is, and no one will oppose me. And now what's going to happen? It says, we give thanks, Lord, who is and was. You've taken your great power. You have begun to reign. This is the kingdom of God. The nations rage. This, this would remind an Old Testament reader of Psalm 2, for sure. The, the, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and rewarding your servants and the prophets and, and, and the saints and all those who fear your name. Do you, do you get it? What he just said there, the time now has come for you to defeat your foes and judge your enemies and reward all those prophets and all those saints, the great and the small. The simplest, most common saint now is seen as like God says, this is my child here. And those who fear your name, you, you want to be in that group. That's the group you want to ask yourself. Am I in that group? Am I in that group? Am I one of those people who fears the name of God? I'm not big, I'm small, but I fear the name of the Lord. I, I believe no matter what happens around me in the end, this is the side of history I want to be on. I want to be on the Jesus side, right? That's a, it's not, this, this is so simple, straightforward, plain, concrete. This is why we love preaching in Revelation. And then, now, oh, and it says, and he's just, the time has come for the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. So in other words, there, there's a time when 
those who in rebellion against God will be given an offer of amnesty. And if they take it, they move over on the God side and they, they avoid the judgment of God. But if they don't, they're still they're destroyed with the other destroyers. And then the kingdom of God comes and God reigns. In verse 19, God's temple in heaven is open. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, heavy hail. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Do you see it? I'm warning you. There was a couple out in, I think, Oregon. And they, were, they, they heard there was a, a real bad storm coming. So they decided they would go to the ocean and watch the storm blow in. It was a fascinating thing to see. Someone took a video of this. The couple are out and are watching the storm, and they make a, a mistake you should never make when you're by the sea. Never turn your back on an angry sea. You've heard that? Never turn your back on an angry sea. They, they looked away, and a rogue wave pulled, I think one of them, maybe, maybe him in. His wife decided that she would rescue him. So she went in. They were both pulled into the angry sea. There's a young man, it's on the video. There's a young man that saw it happen and he's strong and he was young. He went in after them and he was pulled into the angry sea. And then the tide went out and there was a young, like Olympic, a, a very strong young swimmer. He was able to go out and rescue them all, bring them in. I look at a passage like this, it's full of promise. It is, it's full of promise. But it's also a warning. Never turn your back on an angry sea. Never disregard the, 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 the wrath of God, the just wrath of God against you. The only way out is for Jesus to rescue you. There's no other way. And that's the only hope that we have. You know, we live in a world full of rebels, and we have a little rebel heart in our own heart. And the angry sea of God's judgment will pull all of us in unless we flee to Christ. And then we're part of his eternal kingdom. That's what we should keep in mind. And we should, get, and we should witness. I had, had a person tell me that he was raised in a Catholic home. And he, he kind of walked away from that. He went to college. Kind of became an agnostic. He said, um, some people came by his dorm room one afternoon. And they knocked on his dorm room. And he, he opened the door. And they, and they warned him about heaven and hell and such. And he's like, Put, say, not, kind of go away. He had a girlfriend later on, tried to witness to him, and he wasn't too serious about it. She said, don't you think this is urgent? You want to know what happened to that guy? I think he was playing the bass this morning. Dave, our elder, one of our elders, Dave Parsons, says, after he got saved, he remembered everybody who witnessed to him. He remembered those kids in the dorm that day. He remembered that that girlfriend that said, aren't you taking it seriously? This is pretty serious. I'd say the same thing to you. This is serious. This is real. This is real. This is a description. You can, you can trust this. I'm not sure you can trust CNN. I'm pretty sure you can't. I won't shock you, but I wouldn't trust Fox News either. But you can trust this. I'm serious. This is what God said. This is what you should build your life on. This is what you should trust. This is what you should teach your children. And imagine a world where Jesus is the king. <laughs> imagine that. I, I, I should probably wrap it up. And, and I'll tell you what I like to do. 
I'd like to sing that last song. Can we sing that last song again? So let me, give me a little flourish here, and then we'll sing that last song again. Hear this. Imagine a world where Jesus Christ is king. Imagine a place where Christ is king. Imagine a place where he is honored, where his rule is law, where everyone recognizes that Jesus is king. Imagine a world where families are restored and the father leads the family gently to Christ and they gather around the word of God and they bend their knees in humble prayer in homes all over the world. It's almost too wonderful to imagine. Imagine a time when faith sweeps over the land and loyalty to Christ beats in every human heart. Imagine young men and young women whose eyes are clear and their purpose is strong to honor the one creator with a pure and a holy passion when once before they lived for the world in impurity and now they live for God. Imagine a world like that. This is the kingdom that we are in and moving toward. Imagine the world where all the peoples and all the tribes and all the tongues unite in the worship of God and the 24 elders and the living creatures and the angels will throw themselves on their faces and they'll worship the one who created all things and the one who redeemed all things and the one that will one day judge all things where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forever and forever. Let's stand and we'll sing about that.